Welcome on in, everybody. It is Fighters Fury here. Tobin here with you. We are, we're doing a little special podcast version. If you guys realize, hey, where's my Fighters Fury podcast? Why is it out late? Why is the episode out late? So I was out of town this weekend. Um, that's why you guys uh, heard the episode yesterday. We had an awesome interview with Peter Kahn. I had him in for a few segments. Spit that wisdom on Netflix's Fight World and a lot of things going on in boxing. And you guys will hear that conversation after that. But want to give you a little bit of a breakdown of all the stuff that went down this week. And, of course, this past weekend as we had UFC 230. If you guys uh, were living under a rock, Daniel Cormier retains the heavyweight championship of the world. Easy win over Derek Lewis. Um, can't even really say Derek Lewis landed anything that had DC even a little bit in danger. Like, threw some high kicks that were a little surprising. But for the most part, it was first round, gets the single leg, takes Derek Lewis down. Um, you know, Derek Lewis was feisty. He fought back. Think about Derek Lewis that you could say, uh, you know, he was not, he was not about trying to just sit down there and let DC wail on him. Like he was going to go into these fights and he was trying to pop up. And so he was able to get through that in the second round, uh, round, uh, in the first round, excuse me, second round comes away. Uh, again, throws some high, high kicks was really trying to bring the heat, um, but DC was out of range, and DC was able to uh, to make a miss, got the single leg. Uh, Derek Lewis hit him with like a hammer fist on the way down, uh, tried to pop back up, gave up his back. DC choked him out. Boom. DC is still heavyweight champion of the world. It went about as easy as you could hope if you're Daniel Cormier. That's why he takes that fight. That's why he doesn't fight Stipe. That's why he doesn't fight John Jones. He's obviously trying to protect the Brock Lesnar fight, which we assume is going to happen in early 2019. So... DC was able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. Both these guys made a whole lot of dough for doing this short minute, uh, short, uh, on short notice. And for Derek Lewis, look, no shame in that game, man. D Daniel Cormier is one of the best out there. I think we all knew this is what was going to happen. I'd still like to see him go in there once the matchup becomes, you know, DC, uh, Derek Lewis versus Stipe or somebody like that. Somebody who's a little bit more willing to sit up there and throw with him. You know, even though Stipe is probably going to go that route of trying to wrestle him too, but Look, Derek Lewis is an awesome personality. He's Teflon in my mind. You take this fight, fought him back-to-back pay-per-views, um, and he looked he looked he looked really really good as far as physically is concerned. I, I, it was um, it was it was it was still noble for him to go do that, and it's good that he was able to go make a whole lot of cash taking that short minute uh, last minute. Uh, the other big one of note: there were a couple things. You had uh, Jacare Souza um, fighting Chris Weidman. Really good fight by these two guys. A real barn burner. They're going back and forth. Chris Weidman uh, landed some really good stuff on Jacare, busted up his nose, seemed like he was winning the fight. They get into a real firefight into the third round, and Jacare just drops his ass, drops him hard, and should have been stopped uh, right away. Thing was that Chris Weidman, his reaction was to go for a takedown like his muscle memory took over, and so... It, you know, he didn't look look all the way dead, I guess, if you were from afar, but the, the ref was in a bad position. So, Jacare is basically saying, hey, man, you got to stop this fight, even though, like, you know, Wyman's clinging to his leg, but he's not with it. He's very clearly out of this fight. I think it was Daniel Mergliata who was the, the referee, and it was a terrible job by him. So, Wyman ended up having to take a, a few more kill shots from uh, from Jacare. Um, you know, again, to Wyman. You know, he took this fight on short notice. The bummer for him is... He probably wasn't far off from getting back in the title picture, even though we we learned this week that the title shot is going to be um, Kelvin Gastelum taking on Robert Whitaker, which is not surprising because Kelvin is going to um, 
is in the ultimate fighter right now with uh, with Bobby Knuckles. So that's that. But a tough loss for Chris Wyman and a big win for Jacare. Uh, the other big one out of this was Israel Adesanya. He he made mincemeat out of out of uh, Derek Brunson and Stylebender is off in amazing 2018. He got four wins. He's an exciting fighter. He's got good personality. I think it'd be a fun showdown towards the end. I don't know if him and uh, Robert Whitaker have a cool relationship because I believe Stylebender's from New Zealand, and I think it isn't. I think Whitaker's from Australia. And as we've had a long debate on my midday show, those things are not the same. You cannot just go out there and say that New Zealand and uh, and Australia are the same. But I think that's the case. So I don't know if they got a good relationship or not. What I do know is that these guys, uh, I think that is going to make for a fun little uh, setup later on in the middleweight division. Now, I know Dana wants to keep him coming on slow. Um, and let's take a look at these middleweight rankings right now and where he would stand because God imagine after this fight, like he is flying up the rankings. Like He just beat a guy in Derek Brunson who was sixth in Israel. So you got to think. Weidman's going to drop out of the top five. I would bet you that Israel's going to be ended up being number five. And Jacare is going to probably move up to, I would say, probably two. Be interesting if they go and do Souza versus Yoel Romero, although Yoel Romero's been flirting with some 205 stuff. But 205's titles um, also kind of tied up at the moment. So, you know, maybe we get a Yoel versus Israel Adesanya. I don't know. But there's some fun fights at a, at a division of middleweight where it was a little bit Deadsville. You know, the insertion of Paulo Costa and Stylebender and Jacare getting this win. Um, it's got a little bit of lifeblood put into it. Now the fact that you have a, a new title, a new title shot that could be thrown in there, 185 is in a good spot. So that was that big news. And speaking of 205, the reason he's not into that. So we got the news this week. It was made official that John Jones is going to be fighting Alexander Gustafsson in December, at the end of December. They announced that fight officially. It's going to be on the same card as Chris Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes. Very fun fight. You're talking about one of the best title fights of all time, one of the best fights of all time. The, um, the one thing I will say with the lead-up into this, like, you know, for John's sake, I if I were John, I would not be in the process of saying I was blitzed out of my mind and I was – um. I, you know, I didn't train for that fight or anything. I know that's the way he's going to go because he's a prideful guy. And a lot of guys don't like Gustafsson. They think he's a bit of a crybaby. Um, and that, you could probably say, in his career was his best performance, was the performance that he had against John. Other than that, it's a bit of a lackluster career if you are, Alexander, uh, as far as signatures, because mostly he's come up short. He's gotten knocked the bleep out by Rumble Johnson, came up short against Daniel Cormier. But that, he has the distinction of being the guy who made John Jones look most human. And if I were John, the idea that this guy, I want to prove that this guy was a one-hit wonder. But I wouldn't go the route of, I was blitzed out of my mind, I was coked out of my mind. Man, if I'm John Jones, I'm, I'm seeing so far away from that stuff just because it's not that that stuff isn't cool. And I know people like the fact that John's being more real and that he's embracing the bad guy. But the thing with that stuff is, that kind of reminds everybody of fake John. You know, like when, when this stuff was going down... People didn't know that John, on the mainstream, was a partier. Didn't know that John Jones was a guy who wouldn't train hard. Um, I think it's just it rests enough on its laurels that, hey, I have this fight against Alexander Gustafsson, and I want to prove that I'm going to dominate him the last time was just a fluke. Um, but I would be talking up 
discuss as an opponent because I do think that is best for you when it comes to selling this fight and why people should watch it again. Um, that's just my two cents on it, but I can't wait for it. Uh, big news came in on Sunday night. So here's what goes down. Uh, I didn't even know this was a thing, but well, you know, I was watching yesterday. I was in, in my bed and, you know, scrolling through social media. I have a bad habit of that, scrolling through my phone before bed. I have trouble falling asleep. And as the night's closing out, as the night's closing out, um, I see that uh, uh, that Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather kind of going at it again on social media. I was like, oh, all right, Oscar's going in on it. Uh, I wonder what wonder what Floyd said on his Instagram. So you know, I see the De La Hoya post and whatever; those two are going back at it. But then I see this new post by Floyd, and it kind of just looks like a lot of his uh, random posts where he's just hanging with a lot of cash, but. You know, then I go and look. I'm like, hey, what are those gloves that he's wearing? And I look in and I see Ryzen. And so you see the posters from like at that point, it was like 38 minutes ago. And there's all these people starting to buzz like, hey, Ryzen has this big press conference coming up in about uh, five minutes. And so just so happened, I happened to be on social media. See, I didn't know this was a thing. You know, I'd heard the rumblings that, that Floyd is going to do a fight in Tokyo, but I didn't know who it was going to be with or any of that stuff. You know, Floyd, it's kind of like it's, all this stuff's flipping. Like, you kind of just got to wait until the Floyd news happens uh, before you can buy into it too much. So, you know, he posts this uh, this photo with him wearing this Ryzen glove. And, they, you know, I can't. it's hard to tell, like, whether he's wearing both MMA gloves or if one is like a kickboxing glove and one is a... Uh, one is a MMA glove. It looks like it kind of looks like that. Like one is a hybrid glove, and then one is a mixed martial arts glove, something like that. Uh, so they have this press conference that comes up, and so Floyd is there with Ryzen, and they are announcing that he is fighting this dude Tenshin Nasukawa, who I am not familiar with. I've seen Joe Rogan say that this guy is the real deal. He's one of the best strikers on the planet. He's a 20-year-old uh, kickboxing phenom. He's unbeaten. Uh, supposedly a lot smaller than Floyd Mayweather. But this is the this is the fight. Floyd is going to be fighting this dude at the end of the year, December thirty first, uh, as part of Ryzen. And they haven't announced what the rules are for this. Um, but you know, here's the thing: it's got to have some kind of quirk to it if it's gonna work. Like, look, Floyd should be as bankable a pay per view star as there is. Uh, and I get the idea of wanting to make your mass appeal in Europe, but there has to like the 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 oh the always move with Floyd whenever he's had a successful pay-per-view there has to be a chance that he loses there has to be some kind of appeal for for a for a fan to tune in to watch him lose because that is what everybody really wants to see they want to see can he stay unbeaten um or is he uh or or is he going to lose how is he going to lose there's been so much talk about his mixed martial arts quote-unquote debut you know doing the thing where he trotted through the cage so if this is going to be a case where he is boxing some kickboxer from Asia, I don't think it's going to do well. I, 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 I just don't. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe they're paying a boatload guarantee anyway. But I'm just saying, as far as the appeal goes, like there'll be a lot of people who will illegally stream it and get it that way. But it's not going to have the same buzz. Now, if you tell me that Buddy is allowed to throw two kicks around or he is allowed to kickbox, I think this will be a monster hit. If you're telling me Floyd has to go in there with a new rule set that he has to um, that he has to deal with, 
I think this could be a huge, huge thing as far as people wanting to buy the fight. Uh, but if it's straight up boxing, I don't think people are going to be into it. But if you if you throw any kind of quirk in there that, hey, this kid can throw two kicks around, one kick a minute, something like that, I think people will be into it. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll have more follow-up and I'm sure more details as the week unfolds. But that was an interesting thing that happened late Sunday night. So, okay. That's the rundown of the week, everybody. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Um, when we come up, coming up next, my conversation with Peter Kahn, uh, boxing manager, associate producer of Netflix's Fight World. Uh, he's excellent. He's very in-depth. He's very knowledgeable. You guys will enjoy our talk as well for the next 45 minutes if you guys will be into that. But that is the uh, the rundown of the week. What's up, everybody? Happy Sunday. Fighters Fury here on the ticket with you. Going to do something a little bit different today. We bring it in studio now. A friend of the show, logo boxing manager, and now associate producer of one of the shows I'm really hooked on. If you guys are, are looking for some good fight content to watch, right now on Netflix, Fight World is, is something like halfway through the season right now. It's fantastic. And I guess the concept of it, Frank Grillo, who uh, you guys may know from the show Kingdom. If you guys are MMA fans, I love, uh, love that show. Uh, what was the what was the, re- the wrestling show that he did too? He was the coach in that. Uh, he's of course an Iron Man too. But he is going, um, you know, from different parts of the world into different fight cultures. So, for example, the, the season debuts and he goes to Mexico and he's he's getting kind of the origins of Mexican boxing. Goes to Thailand to get uh, Muay Thai. It's 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 really really great. And uh, one of the producers on that show is Peter Khan. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Brennan, thanks for having me. I love coming in here. I love spending time with you guys. Yeah, we always love having you, man. So let's start off with Fight World before we get into some of the stuff that's going on currently in uh, in boxing. So this this show is fantastic. I heard about it um, probably, I would say about a year ago, I heard Frank on uh, on one of the podcasts of like Fighter and the Kid, and he was talking about his kind of trek of going all over the world to do this type of thing. But it, it, it really has just turned out such a, a beautifully produced piece. Um can, can you take me into the uh, the the uh, the idea of, of putting it together, figuring the kind of the whole thing out, and, and really how long it took to, to put this thing together? Yeah, well, thank you for for talking about it first and foremost, and I appreciate you watching it because uh, it is it's taken a while. Uh, based on like you said, listening to Frank about a year ago, uh, now my boys know what I was doing when I was like wandering around the the, the, the baseball field during little league games on the phone. Uh, trying to have people translate in Thailand. And oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So what it is is it's exactly that. We, we traveled the world, and it basically was spawned by the Anthony Bourdain parts unknown concept. Gotcha. So instead of looking at the cultures through the eyes of their politics and their nightlife and their you know, social activity, it was really based on looking at these different, these different countries' combat sport of choice and then really embedding Frank into that culture. So like you said, the first episode in Mexico, we went to Tepito in Mexico City, and it's not, like 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 it says in the intro, this isn't a show about fighting, this is a show about people that fight. Right. And it's about the stories behind the people, it's about the, the, that culture of fighting. So in, in Mexico, it was boxing. In Thailand, Muay Thai. And we had Buakau in Thailand, which was, if people don't know, he is the legendary. best legendary. Uh, and we in, in Senegal, we had the wrestling in Senegal. We went to Israel and for Krav Maga, uh, and, and that's a great episode. Uh, we also um, went to Brazil. Unfortunately, that episode was pulled because uh, that you know that was for Valley Tudo, the person that we that we highlighted in that uh, ended up in prison for domestic violence. Right, so right, right. Now Netflix pulled that one, but that was that was a great episode. And the concept is just that, you know, we get in there, Frank embeds himself in there, you get to know the people, the stories, 
Um, in that Mexico episode, we even have uh, Julio Cesar Chavez revisit Azteca Stadium. Uh, we have Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC. We went into one of the prisons uh, where they're rehabilitating the women and, and their boxing. That was crazy. That was that was insane. Then the idea that they were bringing you know other boxers in there just to get good sparring in Mexico for that. It right. Was, it was wild to see. Um, for the most part, you know, w- when I get the opportunity to go speak to fighters and and get a chance to to get a peek into their camp, they're very they're usually very welcoming. They like the fact that their stories are getting out there. How how did you find most most places? Were there were there were there anybody who was hesitant to to kind of open up the curtain, or were most people happy to share uh, this side of them? Because it's a, it's a very vulnerable look at some of these guys. That's a great question. And to your point, at first, a lot of people, especially with the language barrier, you know, really right. we didn't go anywhere that people speak English as as a first language. So the language barrier was something where they it was really about trust. And it was really about them understanding. And that's part of the reason why they brought me into the show was because I was able to go to Mauricio Suleiman and Julio Cesar Chavez and, and have them open up doors right, to okay. where we want. And then, you know, act as, as ambassadors for the show. The same thing in Thailand. Uh, I went to uh, um, the longtime uh, Sangchai, who was the, the big, you know, Don King of Muay Thai. And I had worked with them for years because they would also send fighters over, boxers. And so we were able to communicate with them, and, and they also opened the doors. They're the ones that were able to provide us with Buakau. Mm-hmm. And and down the line, you know, we, that's that's how it operated. I mean, we had a lot of trust going into it that the people that were going to be on camera were going to be represented properly. So so how does, how does this go? Like when you're in Senegal looking for, you know, people willing to do this, do you – do you go and how do you, how do you find the people that are the first of all the biggest deal of it like the, that that are the best stories that make for the best stories like um, just give me an example like pick pick an episode and then and, and kind of break that down for me of because it's it just it's so it's so well done where you 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 find where people are, are growing you usually are going to a, a big deal fight for these guys that is surrounding them the goal that they're trying to attain. Um, how do you storyboard all of that going into these things? So I'll use Thailand as an example. I'm not going to use boxing because that's too easy. So I'll use Thailand because that, that was outside of my comfort zone. Okay. Uh, I had no, no, you know, uh, language was an issue. Uh, so what I did was I started by communicating with uh, Wan Sangchai, who was mm-hmm. the, the promoter uh, that, that I was talking about. And I basically did a little narrative for them and explained to them what this is about. And then from there... I asked them, can you get us to Buakau? And their first question was, how much? <laughs> that was the first question, how much? And then they explained that he's very private. When he, when he walks the streets, you know, people crowd around him, that it's, it's not easy for him. Um, and I then told them, look, you know, what we want to do is we want to celebrate Muay Thai. Really, that's really what the goal is. We want to celebrate this. We want to talk about the history, the culture, the subculture, and, and really get into all the aspects of it. What is it like on a Sunday in Bangkok when people are going to these fights? And what is what is it that that inspires people to continue this type of this type of um, art form, right. right? Because it's very violent. Oh man, it's crazy. I mean, and 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 there's such a religious aspect to it where they pray, they go to the temple beforehand, um, and just the living conditions. Uh, the way that they train, and and also, did you watch the end of the episode when they were giving that kid a hard time for losing? Yeah, it was. I, I felt I felt terrible for him because we you know, felt terrible too. But we were living it in real 
yeah. time. We didn't know what was going to happen. You know, and, and you guys, it's it's such a, a, a well-shot thing where, like, you're following him to the shower. Frank walked into the shower because he was trying to console him. Yeah, it, it, it's rough, but, you know, it's it's funny, too. You mentioned the, the kind of sanctity of it because they obvi- it's obviously a very big deal to the culture, but also gambling is such a big well, we show factor that. in that as well. You Absolutely. know, you guys show what kind what is at stake for these guys when people are watching them and who is really worth it so it's an interesting dynamic there of yes this is very sacred but yes there's also this side where you know people are trying to make money off of this as well off off to the side it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing you're watching well you saw the underground you know so we we had the underground fighting um and and people love to gamble on that yeah i mean that's that's just the biggest part that's just a bigger part of it as the actual fighting is yeah. that the ability to gamble on the fights? Yeah, it's to bet on the fights. Well, there's there's a reason that Vegas is the uh, the fight capital. Exactly. Of the world. So you know Thailand was like that, and then for Mexico, uh, I utilized my relationships with with, for instance, Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC. He was a great ambassador because, of course, it's about trust. So he was able to go to the place that we wanted to go to in Tepito and talk to the people and explain to them these are good people. They're going to do this the right way. I basically, it's like vouching for us. And same with Julio Cesar Chavez to say, would you come back to Azteca Stadium, talk about the Greg Haugen fight, talk about your ups and downs, talk about the struggles that you had, talk about your success, talk about your failures, and talk about what it means to be a Mexican fighter. And that was a big part of that. There's yeah. a lot of pride in saying I, I fight like a Mexican. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a different distinction there. What I guess out of out of the season kind of being done, were you nervous uh, about putting all this work into, it, or did you guys know you you did really good work? Because that's that's always an interesting thing. You're kind of just with with Netflix, it's kind of just all out there to the world. You have this this opportunity for everybody to just see what you did. You've put so much time into it. Uh, what was that like for you? So, one of the things that we felt separates this show from other shows was the way that it was shot. And it was it was directed and shot in a very cinematic way. Yeah. Special lenses, the way that it was lit, just the nuances of it and the style of it. And so we felt like we were bringing something more than just a camera following people around. Yeah. And bringing Frank into it, Frank is a rare type of talent because he truly is well-trained in a lot of these disciplines. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for Kingdom, he was, I mean, just trained as an MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. He's a huge boxing fan. Trains every day in Los Angeles uh, in the boxing gym. And uh, Frank is a co-manager of mine with Chris Van Heerden, uh, the welterweight. Okay. And Joe Carnahan, who are the co-executive producers of the Was show. Was he nervous doing this? Because it, 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 with language barriers uh, is, is one thing, but then you got to go in there and you got to be in contact with these people. Like he's stepping into, into the ring. Like it's always a thing where you know, are you going to be accepted in the gym? And now you're also trying to be accepted into a culture as well. He's very humble in that respect. And when you fight and you put yourself, it's when, when you go in a ring or a cage or whatever the case is, there's that respect. And I think that he gained that respect by going in and not just being someone that's talking, but someone that could step in the ring and train. And they lit up when they saw him doing that cool. because they felt like, okay, He's he loves this. He wants to do this. First thing Frank did when we got to Thailand was get tattoos. Yeah, I saw that. That was crazy. First thing he did like right, on, right on, in the marketplace. On, yeah. And and there's a whole ceremony behind it. And so he really uh he really embedded himself into every aspect of it. I mean, he was he was 
ready, prepared, uh, and and really put himself out there. Wait till you watch Israel too. I can't wait. I, I, I'm I'm telling you, man, it's 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 a it's a really cool thing. And you know, this is you know one of the shows where we talk about mixed martial arts and boxing, but um, just to see all of combat, just all around the world, and what it means, and and how important it is in in so many different countries it's 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 really it's really great work you guys did you did a fantastic job with it so i can't recommend it enough fight world on netflix you guys want to check that out um are there any plans for a season two like where does the where do things stand with that absolutely I it's mean, uh it, it, it i definitely wanted to keep going yeah we had um probably six more episodes that were storyboarded and netflix said deliver these first six episodes let's see how it goes and and then I guess they'll determine whether they want to do a season two. But there are so many countries that we were trying to do something in Chechnya uh, in season one as well, uh, which would be wild, pretty wild. Um, and then uh, China. I mean, there are so many other disciplines we haven't covered yet. What is it with uh, this kind of getting off with Chechnya? Like they have such, you know, their leader has such a fascination with mixed martial arts and he hosts, such, you know, big stars there all the time. Like I've seen the piece yeah. of him on Real Sports before, uh, Kardaev, Is that is that? Am I saying that correctly? I don't even know. But um, yes, maybe. But yeah, wh- like, what what is it about that place? It's it. There, there's there's something interesting. It's intense. It's intense. He's like I think I think I remember him saying that he wants people like if he if he had his way he'd have people fight to the death. It's intense. Yeah. I mean, he's talking maybe Kumite. Who knows? You know, maybe they do. I don't <laughs> know. But but it was just one of the things where we were looking to put that one together. And for the first season, we just weren't able to. But that's definitely something that was, you know, discussed. And I just think people would be fascinated by being able to really take a behind. And I think part of the issue is trust. Yeah. And I think they need to trust. I think after they see the first season. Yeah, that you guys did the good they'll, work. They'll understand really what we're trying to do. Yeah. It's not really to exploit them. It's more so to celebrate this exists. Yep. Uh, you know, have you seen the the fighting in Italy that they do once a year? That in the state in the stadium, the, no. the group fight. There's so many. There's so many. There's so much more combat. There are so many more combat sports in different forms and historical forms out there than people realize. It's Fight World on Netflix. Can't recommend it enough. It's a tremendous show. Back with more with Peter Khan after this. Welcome back. Fighters Fury here rolls on on the ticket. Tobin here with you. We got Peter Khan in studio with us. Uh, he's the associate producer of Fight World on Netflix. He's also a boxing manager, represents a lot of great fighters out there. So let's get into some of the things that are going on currently in the sport. Last time we were in here, we were talking a little bit about the the kind of changing of the format in, in boxing, how things were going to go away from pay-per-view, and it really has. I mean, yeah. it, it looks like you know HBO is closing up shop. I don't really know how much more Showtime has in the whole story. They're going to do Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder on pay-per-view, and there's talks next year maybe doing – uh, Garcia and Errol Spence on pay-per-view but you know it's for the most part it seems like we've seen the monster deal that went to Canelo Alvarez 365 million crazy minimum um there's you know ESPN at that point has now signed a new deal with uh with UFC where they're not only doing digital platform but on television as well so and they have a seven-year deal with top rank that yes. they signed this past year so what's this been like for you because things are like like you said they were things have changed and are changing yeah so how have you kind of consumed this year of of where the landscape has laid out has it been even more wild than you thought it was is it about where you thought it was um with the zone spilling out money and and uh and espn and everything there so well, the last time i was here i hadn't even heard of the zone and I was pitching Eddie Hearn 
you know, of Matchroom mm-hmm. on the CBS platform. Right. And he said, I'm working on something. Okay. Who would have known it was going to be the zone and how big it was going to be? You know, and that's when they announced uh, their billion dollar 10 year deal, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it was. And from there, we've obviously seen it grown. And interestingly enough, uh, on my Fight Guys podcast, we interviewed Scott Coker yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so we had him. He's cool, He dude. was great. We had him for about a half hour. He was really, really good. That guy's been in the sport for 33 years. Yep. I mean, he's, you know, he has a he's lot, lot to some say. some of the best. Yeah, he's been a great uh, developer of talent. Yep. Things I learned about him and, and who he's started and, and, and how that's, you if know. You, if you were to look over the UFC roster today and see some of their champions, the people that Scott Coker gave their start to, you'd be blown away by it because you, you don't realize how long ago that was. But right. it's, it's, it's very impressive. Yeah, it was great. So, you know, they're on DAZN. Yep. And that's, that's a great platform for them. So to answer your question, we, all, we, we knew that streaming was going to become the, the evolution of boxing programming. What I didn't realize was that they were going to take away the pay-per-view model. So, I th- look, the more distribution and the ability for promoters to get the proper amount of rights fees mm-hmm. to be able to put on the fights that we want to see, that's excellent. I ultimately don't know how a $9.99 monthly subscription is going to be able to cover the costs of what fighters are used to potentially making on the back end of a pay-per-view. Right. And even the promoter, for that matter. So for for now, for now, for just over a hundred dollars, I can get DAZN for a year, and I can watch Joshua and Canelo fight no matter what. No pay per view, no additional, no additional um, investment. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if DAZN's using this as an entry point for other sports that they're going to bring into the mix. Uh, is this going to become a full-blown sports distribution their, network? Their president is John Skipper, right? Like yeah. The, he, the, the ex-ESPN president. Right. Um, so, I mean, I guess they have a guy who has big experience in sports entertainment. But, yeah, I'm like you. When I wa- when I see the numbers that are, are, are thrown out to a Canelo Alvarez, who obviously, you know, if you're going to get somebody who's an automatic draw, he's about as good as you can get in the sport. It's the biggest name in the sport right now. So, it sounds great. But I'm, I'm not the numbers guy like i don't i kind of look at these things and i i look at it with a lot of ignorance like i don't, I don't know typically how these things are covered you know it all sounds good we see oh, two million pay-per-view buys one million pay-per-view buys right they got this on the back end but it's kind of just things we all as fight fans we're not in the business like you are we kind of just spitballed and we don't really know what we're talking about so now to see that things are kind of just done by subscription a lot of people can get a month subscription for free so let's say they just want to go to canelo and try the Canelo trial month. Right. Like how I, I don't understand how they're going to make money with it. Well, ESPN plus $4.95, but you get all the sports yeah. under that Which umbrella. I subscribe to. I Me have, too. I, I have, have both. that and uh and I've I've signed up for the zone. I think my month's probably coming up, but uh you know, I but think But how could I, you not? How how could you not? For for the for the price of one pay-per-view, you get all of this for a year. Mm-hmm. And so for the fans, I think it's a win. And if, if, you know, if they can keep investing in the sport like that, what it does is it takes, there's a couple of things, and I was talking about this yesterday, it takes away the competitive nature that exists and the obstacles that exist within boxing. So, for instance, you have one promoter with a champion that has a deal with ESPN, or let's just say Showtime. This has been the, this has been the hurdle in the past. Okay. You have one, one promoter that has the champion like, say, Joshua. 
Okay. And he is uh, a Showtime fighter. And then you have another promoter who has, like, Klitschko when they fought with HBO. Mm -hmm. And it's always been that problem. Who gets to broadcast it? Who gets, you know what I mean? And it's which promoter's a lead promoter. In this case, it should be fairly easy, for instance, for, let's use the middleweights as an example. Daniel Jacobs is now the IBF champion. He's with Matchroom. You have Demetrius Andrade, who's now the WBO champion. He's with Matchroom. And you have Canelo Alvarez, who is the, what is he, WBA? WBC? I don't know. Whatever, whatever. He, whatever he got when he beat when he beat uh, Triple G this time. He's the champion, and he's with, with Golden Boy. Well, all of them have deals with the zone. So the distribution part's not even an issue. Now it's just a matter of the promoters working together on the actual split, and from there it's fairly simple. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just it takes a lot of that obstacle out of the out of the equation, but uh, you know, I'm interested in seeing long term how many how many um, what we would consider pay per view fights take place under that subscription, and how many people worldwide end up subscribing to watch this. I think ESPN announced recently that they finally exceeded a million subscriptions for ESPN Plus. Right. Well, that's the only thing I say with the zone because ESPN Plus ultimately if they have a fight that's big enough, they're going to just put it on ESPN, I'd imagine. Um, you know, like Terrence Crawford was a huge draw for them this last time around. And so it's good to see that boxing has been a good draw for them, but they always have that fallback of their ESPN. They they're the sports right. monster. Everyone watches ESPN at some point. They could you know, publicize it like nobody's business. DAZN is going to have this interesting thing where it's all going to have to be grown digitally. And, and they are, it is beneficial that, you know, people can almost make their own 24-7s and stuff on Twitter or Instagram or things like that. But, you know, it, if it is that night of, like, uh, you know, Canelo's fighting, you know, will people be drawn to, I got to sign up for DAZN? The what? what? What is that? Right. You know, like that familiarity and which is why you guess you go grab an Anthony Joshua and a Canelo Alvarez to make it like the only option for fight fans to see have the must-see guys but I do think that ESPN still has that luxury of being uh, of having the television fallback where the zone doesn't quite yet well even let's look at HBO exiting boxing that seems un-American <laughs> yeah you know at first it was like I can't believe it yeah but we kind of had an idea because their budget has diminished for boxing. And from a, I mean, look, they're running a company, right? Sure. And so from the bottom line, the, one, the minute that they realized that boxing subscriptions, meaning people that are subscribing to HBO, uh, where boxing no longer has an impact in that subscription, then why keep spending that extra $100 million a year to pay out rights fees when it's not affecting your subscription? Because... Look how much that's even changed. Look how great the original programming is and all of the series, and apparently that's what's driving people to subscribe to HBO and not so much the boxing. What do you do as a guy who manages fighters these days? What 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 would be your plan for guys? Like, do you want a fighter who's going to be maybe at a place like the Zone, and and that's going to be an audience that is going to be familiar with them because they probably are going to see every one of his fights and subscribe to? Is there still? Um, glory that oh no no this is a showtime fight this is a huge deal for you like where, where does that stand for for you with getting a fighter exposure like that well obviously you want to be with a promoter that has distribution for a couple of reasons one 
they're going to be able to keep your fighter active. And two, they're going to be able to pay them more money. And the fighters that I manage are all top 15 world-rated, world championship caliber fighters. Uh, some are knocking on the door for a title this coming year. Some maybe uh, 18 months from now. So, for example, my fighter, Saul Rodriguez, who fought last night in El Paso mm -hmm. on the top rank ESPN card, um, he was built by top rank. We left and went to Mayweather when his contract expired. That experiment didn't work. We got a release, and I had an opportunity to see where I wanted to bring him back to, and it was between Golden Boy and Top Rank. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Malaysia in July for the Manny Pacquiao-Matisse fight, I met with Golden Boy, and at that time I'd also learned that they were going to be potentially losing their ESPN dates. Really? Yeah. And okay. Not from them. They didn't tell me, but I had heard that that was going to be the case, which is the case, but now they have this great deal with the zone, but no one would have known that because no one knew that HBO wasn't going to be around and that Canelo was going to move over to the zone. But the point is, is that top rank because of those TV dates, because of the fact that you knew they weren't going to have a problem keeping him busy and putting him in front of millions of people uh, really was, plus they had already had a few year, four years already invested in him. Mm -hmm. So they had all the, intention to pre protect that investment and, and want to see him succeed. Where Can you uh, explain Mayweather Promotions to me? Because I, the, the, there's a very highly publicized thing right now as far as their most well-known fighter right now is Javante Davis. And it kind of seems like there's an, I guess, public spat where the fighter is actively upset with his promoter and seemingly has a, a, a beef with the face of the quote-unquote promotion. So I'm just curious because you're saying it didn't work out with them. Kind of what's what is Mayweather Promotions' deal? Like what? So what, how did did they have a deal? Like because to 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 have that kind of a spat where you have this guy Javante Davis who people were touting as the next big star, and, he's, and he still might be. He still might be, but he doesn't he doesn't get fights, and he seems upset that he doesn't get fights. And and rightfully so. I mean, any fighter would be upset if they don't get fights. I mean, the fighter that you know you know who gets the most traction on Showtime when they fight. There's a fighter that gets the most traction on Showtime. Um, Adrian Broner? Yes, Adrian Broner. I love that. Good job. Adrian Broner. How many times can we keep watching Adrian Broner in, in I mean, look, I think his best days are behind him. And we're going to watch him again on a potential pay-per-view against Manny Pacquiao. Yep. So to Gerv so with Gervonta Davis, I don't know the, the details of his situation. Um, I do know that he had a great opportunity to be showcased on the Mayweather-McGregor card. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it wasn't fantastic. You know, I think that his performance would have been fine if he didn't mock Fonseca at the end. Sure. And uh, he did not look great. And, you know, we're allowed to critique him. He just didn't look great. But against Pedraza, he looked great when he won the title. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, you know, he's also young. Um, I think he has a lot of talent, and I think he can still be very successful. But getting back to Mayweather Promotions, I like Leonard Ellerby. Leonard's a gentleman. Always, we have a good relationship. The issue with, for instance, Saul was that they just weren't fighting him. He fought one time in 15 months. And so from the time that he was signed, he fought uh, two months later and then hadn't fought. And some of it is they couldn't get approval on opponents. I, I don't know. It was just the thing is, is that a, a fighter needs to fight. And the other part of it is 
you asked me what's the deal with them. Well, look, they're very closely affiliated with Al Heyman. Right. And so I think that they're always going to be, at least in the foreseeable future, very much involved in PBC. So Fox and... Yeah, and I, and I still think that, you know, look, every promoter has to make a decision on what's important to them and their brand and which fighters fit into that. And uh, maybe in this case, Saul didn't fit into that. Therefore, he wasn't pushed. But in the end, it was, uh, you know, they were they gave us the release. We didn't have to fight it out. And that was good. Um, but I don't know. I don't really, I honestly don't really follow what they're doing, to be honest with you. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. It's Fighters Fury here on the ticket as we close out this Sunday. Got Peter Kahn, boxing manager, in studio with us. Really knows the game. He's also the associate producer of the new Netflix series, Fight World. Can't recommend it enough. Before we get out of here and wrap things up, let me just kind of get your thoughts on on some things going on currently inside the ring. So um, we got coming up in December, a big heavyweight matchup with uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And this is, uh, this is fantastic because it felt like we were at a big stalemate with the Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder thing. But I think as a, as a fan of the sport, this is a nice consolation prize. You know, you do have a guy in Tyson Fury who does have a claim to being once the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. And Deontay had, um, you know, a very dangerous fight with Luis, Luis Ortiz, but showed a very gutty performance getting out that win. And now really gets, I feel like, his big showcase um, to come to the table of, look, this is, this is the kind of fights I can put on. Uh, what do you make of that matchup and, and kind of everything that surrounds it as far as them deciding to fight each other rather than dealing with the Anthony Joshua stuff? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, I think that we're going to be in for a really good fight. Yeah. I think it's impossible for this not to be a good fight. This will not be a snoozer because Deontay Wilder's coming to knock him out. Fury is coming in there to frustrate Wilder and, and try to keep, uh, keep his hands in his pockets, you know, prevent him from... From, from getting off, preventing him, you know, from, from being effective. And uh, Tyson Fury is a good boxer. Yeah. You know, he's a unique guy for someone that size. He's the, uh, he's the ultimate. You can't judge a book by its cover. Exactly. Like he, he just, what he, what, he, what he delivers in the ring, you wouldn't expect looking at him. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I'm also a fan of Deontay Wilder. And he throws punches from awkward places. Sometimes they're a little bit wild. But the one thing he can do is crack. And the one thing you could do is end it at any given moment. And I think that, so, so here's the other part of it. When I, I give him a lot of credit for fighting Luis Ortiz. A lot of people don't want to, no one wanted to fight Ortiz. Yeah. Joshua didn't After want to fight Ortiz. After a whole testing flare-up, too. Like, he didn't right. care. Like, didn't no matter care. what it was about, he's like, let's just, let's make it happen. So let's look at his two, right. First, he fights Ortiz, right? Then he wants to fight Anthony Joshua. Well, Anthony Joshua, I don't know, look, the negotiations don't take place in the media. Okay, so whatever we hear isn't what's going on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. They could put out there whatever they want. This side's going to say this. This side's going to say that. But ultimately, it's whatever's going on between them. And once that fight wasn't going to be made, I think that Deontay Wilder and his team made a really smart decision because there could have been an argument that Anthony Joshua could have continued to prolong after the Povetkin fight and say, I'm fighting Tyson Fury. Yep. But... Deontay took that piece right off the chessboard. Yeah, he beat him to the, he, for lack of a better term, he beat him to the punch. Right. So now he's fighting. T there is no one else for Joshua to fight. There's just no one else that they can sell to the public for him to fight. If Deontay Wilder gets past Tyson Fury, he fights Anthony Joshua in April. Apparently they have a date at Wembley Stadium. Really? And I think it's April 13th. 
And if Fury wins, then you have a great UK heavyweight championship still on that date at yeah, Wembley. Golden, it's a win-win for boxing. Yeah, the Golden Pony versus the guy, the Outcast almost. Yeah, it's it's a win-win for boxing regardless. But I I respect Wilder for really just taking the toughest fights out there. I I really can't tell you. You know, maybe uh, maybe Miller. I don't know. You know, who else would be? Jarrell Miller's, Miller's an interesting fighter because of his size. He's just. First of all, he throws a ton of punches for like like Tyson Fury. He he's he's not a guy who who knocks people out, but he throws a lot of punches for a dude who's pushing over three hundred pounds. It's it's very interesting to watch him. He comes from that that kickboxing background, so and he and he trains over at uh, at uh, at times. Of speaking to him, he likes to go a lot of different places to train. Right, and I find that very interesting about him that that he doesn't like to stay stagnant. And you can almost see it in his style. Like he will throw punches almost from anywhere, but are but from a very crisp nature. I think, um, I think that he could present problems for a guy like Joshua in regards of, you know, Joshua carries a a lot of muscle around. He and it, it takes a lot of blood to pump that engine. And so I do think that there's there's part of me that thinks Jarrell Miller could wear on that a little bit. He hasn't been in there with the elite guys yet, right? And that is something. But he has he has sparred with the Klitschkos. He has he has been in big gyms before. So I do find him to be very interesting. And I'd, but I'm I'd saying love he's the only other person that I could say yep would be, accept, would, be, it would be acceptable to, to well look if there's a money flare up like you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that these guys go to the negotiating table and it's prolonged again and you know that that stuff always seems you know they oh promoters always seem to fall back on a big time matchup well time times time time is good time will just allow the drama to play out right well um, but here comes that other issue so you have and this is what we were talking about early on you have deontay wilder who has been fighting on showtime you have anthony joshua who is obviously the the anchor of the zone yep and you have al Heyman on one side and you have eddie hearn on the other side Yep. Well, obviously, they've all been trying to make the fight work anyway, but then it's going to come down to where does it get broadcast. Yeah. And you better believe that it's also going to be broadcast on Sky, pay-per-view, probably in the UK. So there's, you know. Where, where do you think Anthony Joshua's star power lies in America right now? Like, I, I, I saw reports that his his debut on DAZN, which would have been, I watched it, it was like 5 o'clock over here. Yeah. Um, it, That it, it wasn't a fantastic draw. Do you think that, he needs to do a fight in America before the Wilder thing, or do you think that would be big enough that it would be uh, an absolute home run no matter what, just because they could do the marketing, they could do the publicity to get that thing up to get the money and the and the, and the the buys that they think it would deserve? I think it's a little bit of, you know, maybe we're being, like, ethnocentric, right, thinking that you have to fight here yeah. to be successful. And it would be great if they want to open – the if they want to grow the audience absolutely bring anthony joshua here put him in las vegas or put him at madison square garden and let people come watch him let them see him in person right but he doesn't seem that into it like he he takes pride in being the uk champ and he he he's you know i remember after his last fight against pavekin he's like you know what for years we always had to go over there let them come i understand that so i I get that especially listen when you're putting ninety thousand people in wembley yep sure you know i would i would also want to keep that home turf and I understand that. And look, with the way they sell the tickets there, they can make just as much money putting 18,000 people or 20,000 people in the T-Mobile arena. So the money for the gate isn't really the issue. I think that people, I think he's just become such 
a national hero in the UK that it makes sense. And I just don't think that Deontay Wilder, I think Deontay Wilder could walk down the street and unfortunately nine out of 10 people will think he plays in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might be right. They're not going to say that's the heavyweight champ. And I don't know what the secret sauce is for him because he's charismatic. He knocks people out. He's undefeated. And he's genuinely likable. He's an, he's an Olympian. Right. I, 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 I don't know what it would take for Deontay other than he's doing the stuff now where he's taking on every, he's taking on all comers. He is fighting the most dangerous dudes. And I think maybe that eventually he'll be undeniable and will be the star that he thinks he should be. So I had this conversation last week, once again, on the, on the fight guys podcast with Steve Farhood, who sat in with us uh, for the episode. And we talked about this and we were real candid about it because Steve is uh, an analyst for Showtime mm-hmm. for Showbox. Uh, he's been in the business 40 years and, Look, we, we just kind of call it how we see it. Al Heyman's not a promoter. He's a manager. And although his fighters fight on major cable and pay-per-views, they don't get promoted the way that fighters that have a traditional promoter get promoted. Mm-hmm. And so you tell me, how many people listening right now know the Charlo brothers? Not as many as they should. Not as many as they should. Not as many as they should. And, and they it, might and, and they it, might be two of the best in the sport. Oh yeah. And it's 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 a funny thing these days. Like I, I feel like those guys could do fantastic work on their own because of social media and whatnot. But yeah, they should be bigger. They, it, and and promoters need to promote. Yep. Um when are we gonna see Keith Thurman fight again? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean that's a shame. Yeah. You know, I talked about that last night. We had Raul Marquez on, mm-hmm. and I asked him, what's going on? You know, you work for Showtime, too. When are we going to see Keith Thurman? I mean, how how long could you be the WBA champion and, and not fight? It's going to be two years in March since he fought Danny Garcia. Let me ask you, speaking of welterweights, um, I would say the welterweight version right now of Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder would be Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. I agree. And where, where, when do you think we 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 would be able to put promotional stuff aside and never get this one in in the near future? I don't know. I don't think so. Really, I really don't think so. I think what's happening and what we're seeing is is sort of manifesting because of that. So uh, on Tuesday of this past week, Mikey Garcia vacated his IBF lightweight title mm-hmm. officially, and my thought process on this is that the reason he did that was because the IBF ratings are coming out next week, or this coming week for us, okay? In order for him to be able to challenge by the rules, he would have to be in the top 15 of the welterweight ratings. Okay. Which means that they would have to give the IBF enough time to make an allowance to put him into the top 15. He doesn't have to be number one, could be number 15, but you have to be in the top 15. For the commission to approve it? Not the commission the to be to. eligible, just to be – yeah. So that's another thing people don't realize. If you're not rated 1 through 15 by the sanctioning body, you can't fight for the world title. Interesting. There are only 15 guys always eligible in each sanctioning body. I want to circle back to this with belt stuff, but let's keep going on this. So program. what I'm saying is that in order for them to announce a Mikey Garcia, Errol Spence fight, he formally has to be rated in the IBF, and I would imagine that's what they're waiting for. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately – that is what we're going to hear. And Mikey Garcia has been teasing it on social media about not, uh, you know, they counted out Maidana against Broner. They counted all the guys that him and his brother and his dad have worked with. They, you know, they've counted out. So, and I think he's basically making a case where I know everyone's counting me out against Spence, but he didn't come out and say that. But you don't vacate the IBF lightweight title when you could potentially fight Lomachenko. But Lomachenko and Spence are with the same promoter. 
So if Heyman and Aram aren't going to work together, then Lomachenko Garcia is not going to happen. Crawford Spence is it's, not going to happen. It, 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 you know, it's I, I I respect Mikey Garcia for making the move and wanting to fight in Errol Spence and 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 taking up that size challenge. But weight classes are there for a reason. And it's not even, you know, as as a guy who likes UFC, I like seeing guys move up. I'm always more I'm always more inclined to want to see that movement. But you have now a matchup where you have two guys in Lomachenko and Garcia who are match made in heaven for each other. Let's the fans want to see that fight. Crawford and Errol Spence, the fans want to see that fight, and they just are separated by this line. Well, it's it's a, it, you know in the end it's also a business. Yep, and they have to balance it out. And I would say, hey, let's get Spence and Garcia to fight at a catch weight. I don't think Errol Spence could get below 147. I He's a big 47. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to see him end up moving up to junior middleweight and middleweight, you know, in the near future as well. But Terrence Crawford, absolutely. Uh, if you, But here's the other thing. Then you have Sean Porter, who's with PBC. Yep. You have Errol Spence with PBC. Keith Thurman is in no man's land. You have Manny Pacquiao, who's now with PBC. PBC yep. So I just don't see that happening. So I see Terrence Crawford fighting... Whoever is in the WBO top 15, whoever top rank has, and whoever they could make exciting, um, unless he eventually moves up even more weight. But really, who do you want to see him fight at 154? You guys definitely want to uh, stream Fight World on Netflix. He's an associate producer for that. He's Peter Kahn. Uh, we always love having you in here, man, and uh, and spitting on the, the sweet science. So thank you for taking time with us, and we really appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. And look, you know, if you want to, you can listen to the Fight Guys podcast. Absolutely. Official boxing podcast of SB Nation Radio. Just type in the Fight Guys. And uh, we're going to have Tobin on here pretty soon as well. You sure will, man. Always love chopping it up. We'll talk to you guys same time, same place next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.